1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. It says, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar. And His word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate from the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, not only for ours, also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is of the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because darkness is passing away and true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because darkness has blinded his eyes. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. Now, uh, as we head into 1 John uh, this morning, uh, just a couple of questions. Uh, first of all, has this ever happened to you, that you were on the road, you were driving someplace, it was nighttime, and then halfway through the tri trip you realized, oh no, my headlights haven't been on. And you just kind of breathe a great sigh of relief that you've been okay, that the people around you ha have, have been okay. You don't have to raise your hand whether that was you this week or, or not. Uh, one of the things that I learned in hurricanes is 
that probably the number one tool that we can have in our hurricane kit is a good flashlight. There are other things that we need. There's other things that we like to have. But boy, it really kind of starts with a good flashlight. Even trying to operate the generator in the dark is just really, really hard to get that thing working and operating. And so after Hurricane Ida, uh, I ordered like 27 brand new flashlights. You, you can't go six feet in my house without there being a flashlight nearby so that you can grab and use. Uh, and, and it's just really helpful to have. Several years ago, I read that there was a village someplace in Europe, I never got the details, that lived in this valley between the mountains. And because of where this little village was in this valley and because of the number of mountains that surrounded it, it had almost no daylight at all. And so what I heard is that they had built these giant mirrors that would redirect sunlight around the mountains into their village. And so I was thinking about that this week, and I said, boy, that, 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 that must have been just some, something I read on the Internet. That, that couldn't have been true. And so before I talked to you about it, I wanted to double-check. And so I Googled it, and I was wrong. It's not one village that's done it. It's two villages. One is in Italy, and one is in Norway. And they built these giant mirrors on the side of the mountain, so when the sun hits that, it redirects the light right into the middle of their town or village. Now, I write these things to you, I mention these things to you, because as John introduces his letter to the people who are seeking to follow Jesus, he says, here's the message. Here is the thing that you need to know. God is light, and in him there is no darkness. John says, I want you to know right up front so you don't spend the rest of the time trying to guess. What is he talking about? What is this letter about? He says, I'm going to tell you right now, God is light and there's nothing of darkness in him. And I want you to know that as I've been looking at this passage and studying this passage and getting ready to share this passage with you, I believe it may be one of the five most important passages for you to know as a believer in Christ. I believe that this passage of Scripture is going to talk about some things that are so basic, so foundational for our faith, that this may be one of the five most important passages of Scripture for any believer to know and understand. And I think you're going to see that in, in just a moment as we walk our way through this, because I think it's going to answer some questions that you have probably had. Now, if I do this sermon right, we're going to move real quick through point one and point two, and then we're going to live in point three, okay? So don't get nervous in one, two, and then don't get anxious in three. That's just the way it's going to lay out this morning. Are we okay with that? Cool. All right, here we go. Point number one is that there is something that God is, and there is something that God is not. Now, that's right there on the page. I didn't even have to go to seminary for that one. It simply says, there is something that God is. What is that? Light. Good. You didn't even have to go to seminary for that. It's, it's right there. Um, the, the second thing is, there's something that God is not. Darkness. Man, you guys are right on top of it. Now, this is a little bit of a foreign concept for us, because we actually, in our experience really kind of see life on some kind of a slider. 
And what I mean by that is that there are some things that are just about everything that we encounter or deal with is a mixture of some light and some darkness. It's sort of light, but there's a little bit of darkness to it. It's sort of dark, but it's got a little bit of light to it. It's sort of good, but it's got some not good to it. It's terrible, but actually there's a little bit of light in there. In fact, even as we think about ourselves and we think about other people, we can put them on that slider someplace and say, that person is good. Now, they got some flaws. they got some parts of their life that aren't quite right. We can put them on that slider and say, oh, that is a bad person. But at the same time, there, there are still some things in them. They may be small things. They may not be as much as bad, but there are still some things in their life that are good. Sometimes we can take a look at that slider and say, that person's a really good person. But, you know, there, there, there are other people that are better. And we move that slider along and say, that person's a bad, terrible person, but there's probably somebody who's worse than him. And, and so we've just got this slider between light and dark, good and bad. But this passage of Scripture tells us that God doesn't exist on that slider. He is not a mixture of some light, some darkness, more light than bad. He is on the outside of that slider. He is the very definition of light. James chapter 1 and verse 17 tells us that the father of light, that there is no shadows and no variations. God doesn't exist on that slider. It's probably the reason that the first thing that God ever did in creation was to say, let there be Light. God says, let me introduce myself to you. He is light. And light wakes up the world, wakes up creation. And in light there is no darkness, and in darkness there is no light. He is pure light. The second thing for us to think about in this passage is that this light is what draws us to seek God. This light is what creates this hunger inside of us. We are drawn to light. Man, I don't even remember all the details about this episode, but it was an old episode of Cheers. And Sam and, and Cliff and Norm are on a road trip, and they get stranded in the middle of the desert long way from Boston. I have no idea what storyline took them over there, and they got stranded there, and they're like, oh, we're stuck. There's no help anywhere to go, and so they end up camping there in the middle of the desert. Well, the next scene is Norm coming over the sand dunes in a golf cart with a resort bathrobe on and a plate full of food. And they say, well, what happened? Where did that come from? He says, as soon as it got dark, I saw the light over the sand dunes, and I went to the light. That's kind of the way in which we live these days, is that even as it gets dark around us, if we can see a glimmer of light, if there is a piece of light, we are drawn to go and find that light. 
I heard someone say this week, and it, it was a person who's not a believer, not a person who follows Christ. But they, they, were, they were kind of frustrated by the fact, one of the things that bothers me, they said, is when people say, I can't believe this is still happening in 2023. He said, where did people get this idea that we were going to keep getting better and better as a people, and that the world was getting better, and that people are getting better? He said, that's not been our experience. Take a look around us. We, we are not getting better. That darkness kind of remains, and so this world kind of stays there. It, it's, it's what we prayed about to begin the service this morning. And when we prayed about that conflict, there could have been a dozen other conflicts we could have prayed about this morning. And, and there may be conflicts that are not national or international in your life, but but some of us are, are dealing with major conflicts in our own heart and soul and relationships and families. And, and so this darkness just kind of surrounds us in this way. Now, I did think about what this guy says. We don't get better. The world is not getting better. And I thought, well, there are some things that are getting better. There, there, there are some things that are better than they used to be. and We, we can make a whole list of evils that don't exist anymore. But what I think we've done is we pick and choose in different seasons and generations and times different evils to remedy. But the problem is it, it's like a blanket that's too small for your bed. You, you pull it up to cover up this evil to remedy this thing and what you do is you expose another place of evil. And so there are some things that we said, hey, we're going to fix this, and we fixed it. But in the meantime, we've exposed here, 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 and here. So we continue to live in a world that is hungry for light. We're hungry for what is good. To double back, to double back to Genesis chapter 1, and to double back to the creation story, the first thing that God did is he created light, and you know what he said? He said it was good. And then he divided the dry land and the firmament, and he said it was good. And he created the plants, and he said it was good, and he created the animals, and he said it was good, and he created us, and he said it was good. And so... Because this world does not generate its own good. We chase and we hunger and we see a speck of light and we say, maybe. And it is this light of God that draws us and keeps our eye on the horizon and says, maybe there's more than what we see and experience in this world today. The, the third thing, and, and the thing that I want us to spend time on this morning, is that the puzzle of light and dark holds the keys to our relationship with God. The puzzle of light and dark holds the keys to our relationship with God. As we come and, and dig back into the text, one of the things that I want you to notice as we look at, at, at 1 John chapter 1, 6, all the way through 2.14, is I want you to notice that there are seven if statements 
in the passage. If you have your Bible open, let's see if we can't find them together. They're, they're really not that hard to find. Uh, we, we can do this together. They are in verses 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 1, and 3. 5, no, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 1, and 3. Almost every sentence begins with an if. And so John has said to the people who are hearing this letter, reading this letter, says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness whatsoever. And the people who hear it and read it say, okay, I hear that. What difference does that make in my life? How does that impact my life? And so what John does is he gives us these seven if statements and says, let me help you put these tires on the road. Let me help you put these truths into the reality of your life. And so we're going to take a look at these if statements. They, they really come in three categories. We're going to look at them in, in three different groups. Seven ifs, three categories. The, the, the first one, there are three ifs that relate to trying to find truth through untruth. Three ifs that relate to find truth through untruth. They are found here in verse 6, verse 8, and verse 10. It says, If you say that you live and walk in the light, that you are a follower of God... But your life says otherwise. He says you lie. Now that, that, that's kind of a hard word, but, but, but we've got to hear it. If we say, I'm with God, I, I, I want to be with God no matter what he does. God's the most important thing in my life, and God's over here, and we're over here. It's, it's just not true. And he kind of calls us, he throws a flag on the play and says, you can't say, I'm with God, if your life isn't with God. He says it again in verse 8, he says, if you say that you have no sin, in verse 8 he says, you're deceiving yourself. Not only are you just lying in general, but the first person that you're lying to is you. If you say, I don't have any sin, there's nothing broken, there's nothing messed up in my life, there's nothing that separates me from God, he says, you deceive yourself. And then he comes back and he circles around and he says it a third time. And this is in verse 10, he says, if you say that there is no sin in you, that you have no sin, you don't just lie in general, you're not just deceiving yourself. But did you see what he says in verse 10? You call God a liar. Because it's now his word against your word. And you're saying that you don't have sin. So that means what you're saying is that God's not just wrong, but that God is lying. Now, there's still me. Every once in a while, a person says, I don't, I don't have any sin. Well, John in chapter 2 he kind of drops in a little quick test case. How's you and your brother? 
Uh, maybe this is literally your brother, the person you shared bunk beds with. Or, or, or maybe this is just the person you work with. Maybe it's the person you live in a house with. Maybe it's a person who lives uh, down the street from you. Maybe it's somebody that you do business with. Maybe it's somebody that you, you ran into in traffic, metaphorically or literally. How are you and your brother? If we want to talk about having no sin, no brokenness, then let's just talk about relationships. The truth is, is that there's a whole lot of our relationships that bear the marks of brokenness and sin. We lie, we deceive, we have envy, we have anger, we steal, we cheat, we lust. I mean, the, the, the list goes on and on. And so John just wants to double check, hey, just quick check in case you doubt this whole thing about sin. Before you even get to check in your, the mirror, check your relationships. And then in the last section that we just read, he talks about, I write this to you little children, I write to you fathers, I write to you young men, and he just kind of goes through all of this list. Part of what he's saying is, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to everyone. If he were to have written this letter specifically to Woodland Park Baptist Church, he would say, I write to you people who sit on the organ side. I write to you people who sit in the middle, and God loves the people who sits in the middle. I write to you people who sit on the piano side. He says, I'm talking about, I'm talking about everyone in this passage of Scripture. So the ifs, he just starts with, you can't get to truth through untruth. I don't have any sin. Come on, man. Come on. The second list is he also has two ifs that relate to living in the light. This is in verse 7 and chapter 2, verse 3. He says, if we live in the light, if we walk with him, he says, man, if you will live in the light, if you will walk with him, he says, you have fellowship with one another. That brokenness of relationship is absent. You have fellowship with our Heavenly Father as well. It tells us if you walk in the light, then the blood of Jesus covers all of our sins and cleanses us. If you walk in the light. John, in, in this little section, he, he uses a couple of words a couple times. Walk. And abide. Walk and abide. He's using kind of the same words that Jesus used in, in, in his last long conversation with the disciples. In John chapter 15, he, he said, I am in you and you are in me, and, and, and I will abide in you and you will abide in me. Susan and I met in college. And and I remember those days really, really well. They were they were great days. And when I met Susan, I knew I wanted to spend time with her. And, and I wanted to be wherever she was. And so one of the things that I would do was that I would walk her to class. She, she always went to class. I sometimes went to, to class, but she always went to class. And what would happen is that, that I would walk her to class, and then she'd say, wait a minute, isn't your class way on the other side of campus? Yeah, Probably. 
but I would rather walk with you so that I can abide with you. Now, I didn't really use that language at the time. I would like to abide with you, baby. Um, that, 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 that's not really what I said, but that's really what was happening. I would rather be with you than any other place. I would rather be with you than going to my own. Well, that was easy. I would rather be with you. And in order to do that, I'm going to walk with you. And so the, the second set of ifs here is, if you will abide with him, if you will walk with him, you will keep his commandments. If you will walk with him, you will have fellowship with him. In fact, he says very clearly, I'm writing all of this so that you may not sin. I'm writing all of this so you may not sin. He says, I'm not writing to you a new commandment. And then he says, I'm writing to you a new commandment. It's a little bit confusing. John does that sometimes. But, but what he's saying is, I'm not asking you to do anything new. It's the old commandments. It's the stuff you've had in front of you. It's the stuff that you've known was the heart of God. It is the stuff that you know that when you, when you break it, that you try to hide it. He says, now, that's old. That's been around forever. What's new, what's new is the presence of Christ who brings light into this world. What's new is the fact that that presence of Christ dwells inside of you. And so yes, you have to seek to be obedient to the old commandments, but now you do it in new power and new relationship and new presence. As you walk with Him, as you seek to live out the patterns, the priorities, and the purpose of Jesus. The second set of ifs are, if you walk with Him, I write these things so that you may not sin. It's important to know. But then there's a third set of ifs. The third set of ifs, there's two more ifs. It's in chapter 1, verse 9, and 2, verse 1. He says, but if anyone does sin, but if anyone does sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins. In, in fact, it says that, that he exists to forgive. It tells us that he is the one who comes. If we do sin, we have an advocate, a defender, a person who stands by us. We have an advocate who is from the Father, who is Jesus Christ, the righteous, the right one, the one who defines all that is right. And it tells us that he forgives he removes, he atones, he covers, he takes away sin. The big church word that we use sometimes here is propitiation. But what that says is that he exists to forgive, to remove, to atone, to cover. And he says, by the way, this isn't just for you. It's for the entire world. Hear this, Jesus came to forgive sin. Jesus came to forgive all sin. Jesus came to forgive 
every sin. Now, it does not say, listen, let's divide up sins to three categories. We got big, medium, and small. And, 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 and you get five smalls, two mediums, and one large. And he'll forgive those. Once those are gone, then, then you're out of forgiveness. So use them carefully, play them carefully. One big, two mediums, five small. In a way, that almost makes more sense to us, doesn't it? I mean, I think if we were God, I don't think we would do this unlimited thing. If we were God, now maybe you'd be more generous than one, two, and five. But you'd have a notebook. You, you, oh, that's, that's 27 of those. Yeah, they, they've exceeded their limit there. That's not what this says. This says if you will confess, he will forgive. He is our advocate. He is the one who covers and removes and rescues and redeems us from sin. There's a lot of different sins in this world. He came to forgive every single one of them. Then think, think about all the sins that you have ever committed both in terms of number and in category. He has come to forgive every single one of those. Now, every once in a while, you'll hear someone say, well, what about the unforgivable sin? There's an unforgivable sin, and we have all kinds of folks that guess, what is that unforgivable sin? Most of the time, we say the unforgivable sin is something that you did. Every once in a while we say the unforgivable sin is something that, that I did. But here's what Scripture teaches us. The unforgivable sin is to cut ourselves off from the work of the Spirit of God. To say to God, no, I'm not interested, I'm not listening, I won't respond to you. That's the unforgivable sin. The only sin that God won't forgive is the one that you won't take to him. So go back in your head. From smallest to biggest, from your first to your most recent sin. He says, I came to forgive those. I came to forgive those. Here's why I think this passage is so important for you as a believer. It tells us these truths. The one Sin is a real thing, and we're deceiving ourselves if we say it's not. Two, he calls on us to not sin. That's the assignment. I write these things so that you may not sin. But three, here's the grace. If you do sin, confess it and he'll forgive it. Bring it to him. Put it on the table. Be honest about it. And he will forgive. In the middle of all this First John stuff, you're going to hear some folks, well, maybe Christians don't ever sin after they become a Christian. And if they sin after they become a Christian, then maybe they're not really Christians. And we're going to stumble into some of those passages as we go on. But hear this. He says, I write these things so that you may not sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate who is from the Father, who is the propitiation 
of our sins. It just told us the deal. <laughs> you sin, don't sin. If you do, this is how you respond. That's the story of faith. Be honest about our brokenness and our sin. Understand we are supposed to drive our life toward the light. But in those moments when we don't, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us of all of those sins. All of them. Even the one that's racing through your mind right now. Well, what about this? Yeah, that one too. That's what he's come to do. So what's our application this morning? Just three quick things. One, and pay attention to the fact that there's a difference between light and dark. Pay attention to that reality. Secondly, secondly, in terms of our response, pay attention to light and dark and don't shrug it off. Sometimes we have a tendency because we live on that slider. Remember the slider? Some dark, some light, and it's just kind of a mixture. Some good, some bad. We're all that way. We can just ask just the way it is. I know people who are worse than me. Or I know people who are better than you. <laughs> Got nothing to do with anything. God is light. And we shouldn't shrug darkness off in our life and say, eh, happens. And then third, If you're living in the shadows, if there's a part of your life that's living in the shadows, man, would you confess that? Go to the light? Would you go and move your life to the light and get out of the shadows? Whether it's a pattern of your life, whether it's a priority of your life, if it's not with Him, if it doesn't reflect His commandments, if it doesn't reflect his heart, if it doesn't reflect where he is, would you step out of the shadows and abide with him in the light?